Good morning. Uh, it's great to have you with us and those of you online as well. Hello. Uh, if I've not met you, my name's Rich. I'm the vicar here. And as Kath said, I have the privilege of kicking off our new teaching series, uh, which is all about the book of Luke. More of that in a moment. I always get quite excited at the start of a new teaching series. It's a bit like when you kind of discover a new box set. Well, they're not called that anymore, are they? But, you know, a new series on the streaming devices. I'm sounding so old. Um, and you kind of think, oh, I don't have to wait till next week. I can kind of just dive in and binge. It's a bit like that with a new teaching series. We're going to have 12 weeks in the book of Luke. And I want to encourage you between Sundays to be reading through the whole of the book. It takes about half an hour to read it through in one sitting if you do it slowly enough to really gauge it. But um, if you just do it in chunks, that would be great. The reason I say that is for us to cover Luke in 12 weeks, we can't do it section by section. We're going to do it in chunks. And so for you to understand what we're talking about, it'll be really helpful if you've read it through. So feel free to kind of watch the whole series and then come back around and watch it again in more detail. And the book of Luke is actually, I've discovered, is my favorite of the Gospels. Um, the more I've spent time in it, the more I've come to love it. And it's actually part, it's one part of a two-part series, actually. Uh, Luke and Acts come together. Luke and Acts are understood uh, in the canon of Scripture to make sense together. It's kind of part one and part two. Um, and actually taken together, they account for over a third of the whole of the New Testament. It's really important, Scripture. And actually, it's the only kind of combination of books that tells the story of Jesus right from his birth all the way through to the Acts of the Apostles and the early church, and it covers everything in between. So read together, part one and part two are this beautiful story that help us make sense of what on earth it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be his church. So we're starting with Luke, and then we'll break and we'll do some other things, and we're going to come back round and look at Acts as well. And the focus this morning really is to try and introduce us to Luke and to his gospel. Who was he? And why did he write it? What was the point for him of writing it? What was his aim? What was his purpose? And what actually does he want us to see and understand about Jesus? And if there's one thing you take away from this series, please hear this, and it's on the screen. Uh, Luke would say, here's the good news. Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. That was radical at the time. Because they had an understanding, the Jewish people, that the Messiah would come for them. But Luke's not a Jew, Luke's a Gentile, who at some point has clearly heard about Jesus and converted and discovered that this gospel is for everyone, Jew and Gentile. Paul later on, doesn't he, talks about there is now neither Greek nor Jew, male or female, slave or free. This is for everyone. That's what Luke wants us to understand. So before we dive in, let me just say a little bit about him and when the book was written. It's always helpful just to get a bit of a sense of those things. The first question has to be, well, who is Luke? Uh, and commentators, theologians, if they're honest, would say we're not 100% sure but they're like 97% sure that it is the Luke that we kind of have in our heads when we think about this. As I say, he was not a Jew, but he was a Gentile. He has a Greek name, 
which is a clue to being, him being Greek. Um, it, wasn't un, it, was, it was unusual, sorry, for Jewish people to have Greek names. Occasionally it happened. So two of the disciples, the first 12, Andrew and Philip, they're Jewish guys, but they've got Greek names or had a Greek and Jewish name. But chances are Luke is a Greek Gentile. And we know from the way he writes that his command of the Greek language is second to none. So he's a learned Greek Gentile. And actually we find out from Paul that he was a doctor. And in those days, doctors were both kind of physicians and academics in the wider sense. So sometimes we think of Luke as a historian as well, because the way he writes this is with historical accuracy. He was not a first-generation follower of Jesus, as sometimes it's known in the commentaries. The first-generation followers are those that were literally with Jesus. They were his friends. They were his family. They were eyewitnesses to everything he did and said, including his death and resurrection. Luke is what's known as a second-generation follower of Jesus. He knows the eyewitnesses. He's friends with the people who were friends with Jesus. So he's heard the stories. And he's understood who Jesus is. and He's come to a saving faith in him. So he's one of the early converts. And he decides to write down his version, his account of the life of Jesus Christ. And if you compare the opening lines of both books, it's clear they come from him. So uh, the slide for this, you'll see Luke 1 and Acts 1, similar language. So he talks about... Uh, in his former book in Acts, Theophilus, who he's written to in the book of Luke. So Luke is his first book. It's written for Theophilus, more of him in a moment. And then he says at the beginning of Acts, in my former book, Theophilus. So he's trying to make the point that these two come together. I am the author of Luke and Acts. We also know, or it seems at least, that he was a traveling companion and a co-worker of the Apostle Paul. So Paul makes reference to a Luke in Colossians 4, Philemon, and to Timothy. Uh, This idea that Luke was with him at various points of Paul's missionary journeys is considered to be um, the truth. So at some point, Luke and Paul have made friends. And my guess is that Luke, being the inquisitive man that he is, has said, can I carry your bags, basically? I want to come with you. I want to see what God is doing through the church And Paul refers to Luke as the doctor. Uh, Colossians 4, it says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor. So Paul and Luke are clearly friends. And some of what is written in Acts, actually we hear about in the writings of Paul. So we can cross-reference. So some of what um, is recorded by Luke in the Acts of the Apostles, particularly towards the end, is the stuff that Paul was caught up in. So he knows. He actually is a first-hand eyewitness to some of those Stories, which is why it all fits really well together. And Paul's presence alongside Luke is also, as I say, detected in parts of Acts. So Paul, uh, Luke talks about Paul being with him at various points too. So they've obviously got a kind of a fairly balanced friendship. There are a couple of points where the language in Acts moves from um, sort of passive pronoun to we. So we did this and we did that. And most theologians would say the we is Paul and Luke. Okay, so Luke takes himself off on Paul's trips. Paul's obviously come and hung out with him as well, and they've written their, bit, uh, their stories down in different ways. You with me so far? So that's Luke. When was Luke written? For those of you interested, most commentators would agree, around AD 60, so quite early, actually, in terms of some of the New Testament writing. 
Um, Luke couldn't have completed the two books sooner than that, we know, because he includes an account of Paul's imprisonment in Rome, which began in the, the early AD 60 uh, sort of age uh, time. Um, and similarly, it must have been finished b- before the end of the sort of the late AD 60 window, because he would have made reference otherwise to both the persecution of the church in AD 64 and then the, the kind of the sacking of Jerusalem in AD 70. So we think it's around AD 60, basically. That's important because it locates him as a, very, very much at the point where the early church was doing its thing. And he's giving us a very accurate picture of what God did through these first followers of Jesus. So let's dive in, shall we? Uh, Luke chapter 1, I'll read the first four verses for us today. Many, he says, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So I want to look at three things this morning. The first is the purpose of Luke, then we're going to look at the credibility of Luke, and then we're going to look at the vision of Luke. Not in loads of detail, this is an intro, as I say, to the whole book this morning. But in these verses, Luke outlines why he's writing the book. What's the purpose of this? And notice Verse 4, it is so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. That's why Luke wrote it. And it says that he's written it for Theophilus. So the first question is, well, who the heck is Theophilus? And the short answer is, we don't know. (laughs) But there are some theories And actually, it kind of doesn't matter because Luke's gospel has ended up in the scriptures as we have them in the canon of scripture, which we believe is authoritative and has power and life and speaks not only to whoever Theophilus was, but also to us. There are various theories, as I say. One is that uh, he was a real person in some way, shape or form involved in Luke's life, perhaps a Roman governor. Perhaps a local official, someone that Luke's got to know, perhaps someone who's inquisitive, and Luke's writing it down to help this guy understand. Now, what you need to know is anything that was written down in these days would have been shared among other people, because anything written down in those days was on precious parchment. You know, it wouldn't just be like a book that sits on your bookshelf and no one ever shares it. It would be like shared around. So Luke knows that, but he's written it first for Theophilus. Others think he might have been Luke's patron, Someone who actually, a wealthy convert, early member of the church, who had a lot of money and probably heard Luke's vision to write it down and said, well, I'll pay for that. I'll pay for the paper and the ink. And therefore, it becomes essentially the benefactor. The other suggestion is, and this has equal merit, is that it may have just been a literary device. It's a way of sort of personalizing it and owning it. In the same way that Jesus tells these stories about the kingdom of God, but he talks it It talks about it in parables and stories with characters just to help us understand it. The reason that some people think that is that Theophilus literally in Greek means lover of God. So perhaps Luke is writing to lovers of God so that they might know with certainty what they have been taught. So in a sense, we are all Theophilus. Imagine yourself, I am Theophilus. 
most excellent Theophilus. And Luke's written this book, this account. He says, so that we would know with certainty what it is that we have been taught. So the implication in this verse is that Theophilus has already heard something. He's been taught something. Perhaps he's still working it out. That might be you this morning. You're here, but you're not entirely sure about the Jesus thing. That was certainly my experience. I was very much involved in the life of a church before it all made complete sense for me. I was falling in love with God. I was discovering him, but I had loads of questions, and people taught me through it and explained it to me. So the sense is that Luke is writing this for somebody, either a real person or all of us or both, who's on a journey of discovery. And that's why this is a gift to us, this book. Because all of us, I'm sure, have moments where we go, I would love to know with more certainty what it is that I believe, what it is that I've been taught. Because the more in which we understand something, the more actually we can kind of get our heads around it, the more we can actually really go for it and embrace it. Dr. Luke has written a book that when we let it read us and we read it, will help us find more certainty in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Greek word here for know is a really special word in Greek. It's not often what in our minds we'll think knowledge, head knowledge, right? But in the Greek, this word for know is actually this idea of knowing with your whole being. So similarly, Jesus says, doesn't he, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Knowing in the Greek sense is knowing not just in your head, but in your heart, like in your very soul, in the fiber of your being. That's the vision that we would know without any shadow of a doubt who Jesus is and what he's done. Not just head knowledge, but like heart knowledge. Encounter through the written word and, of course, through the Holy Spirit now. But at the time, they didn't have the Holy Spirit in the way that Luke records, obviously, in the book of Acts. Luke wants us to know the certainty of the gospel, not only in our minds, but in the whole of who we are so that actually it can shape and form us, that it can inform us and transform us, that it will become who we are, caught up in this big story of God. And for Luke, this certainty comes not through some mystical experience, not through a deep study of philosophy, but by reading the words of Scripture, by reading the truth of Jesus Christ and understanding it and getting your head around it and choosing uh, to put your faith in it. Possible because of point two that's coming up, right? Which is that it's a credible account. So this is our prayer, really, for us as a church over the next 11 weeks, is that as we together read through the book of Luke, we all would come to a more sure and certain sense of understanding who Jesus is, what he's done, what it means for us, that, that we would be more convinced than ever, and therefore more free to really embrace the way of Jesus. So that's the first thing, that's the purpose of Luke. The second, as I say, is the credibility of Luke. Luke's opening statement is in part designed to demonstrate the credibility of his account. So notice verse 2. I've drawn up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Verse 2. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. What he's trying to say here is, I'm not making this up. 
I'm not just writing my memories down, the vague recollections I have of the stories I got told somewhere. He's, what he's saying is, I've gone and done the hard work of going back to the original source, the eyewitnesses, and what are, he says here are called the servants of the word, more of them in a moment. Luke is establishing the credibility of this account so that when you and I read it, we can go, we know with as much certainty as we need that this is a credible, factual account of what actually happened. So notice Luke acknowledges that there are already some accounts of the life of Jesus available. So he's writing it with his own reason, we'll of that in a moment. But he makes it clear that actually he wants it to be credible alongside those. Now in the New Testament now, we've ended up having with four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there were other ones as well that didn't make the cut for all sorts of reasons. Conversation for another time. And Luke wants us to understand that it's credible for a number of reasons. It's based on the accounts handed down to us. So this was an oral tradition. These accounts, these stories were told over and over and over again. And so he would have heard them from all sorts of corners. And he's able to write down a version of them that might be different in some ways to Matthew or Mark or John. They're the same, but they're different. Because it's the same original accounts handed down to them. From who? From these eyewitnesses. People who were literally with Jesus. The people who actually saw his crucifixion. The people who actually encountered him in resurrected form. Uh, And then he says that it's also from these people, the servants of the word. Now, sometimes we read this and we think they're two different groups of people. But actually, most people think they're one group of people. And it would have been men in those days for all sorts of reasons, men who witnessed both originally in the sense of they witnessed with their own eyes and then they became witnesses. They told other people what they'd seen. They witnessed to the truth of Jesus Christ and they were known as servants of the word or ministers of the word. And a bit of context will help us here, right? So if you imagine for a moment, you're in a village in Palestine 2,000 years ago. Um, keep imagining that while I just, um, thanks, HJ. I don't know what's happened here. Yeah, there we go. Um, very kind of you. Thank you. Um, imagine you're in a village in ancient Palestine. They don't have newspapers. They don't have books. They don't have radio. They don't have TV. They don't have the internet. They don't have social media. How do you get the news? Well, what they had was official storytellers, people who became known among communities as being credible witnesses to things, people who you could rely on their testimony because they wouldn't embellish or make it up. They'd literally tell you what's happened. And they would roam around the villages telling you about the latest earthquake or battle or whatever the Roman emperor has just decided he wants to do. And within a day or two, the whole story of whatever has just happened would spread around the villages and towns and people would hear the same story told through these official storytellers. That's who they are. These servants of the word are people who actually were recognized as credible eyewitnesses to what Jesus has done and they were commissioned essentially to go around telling the Jesus story all over the place but as I said earlier what started to happen is that there started to be oppression from the Roman Empire resistance to this growing Jesus movement villages were raided and ransacked 
Um, so often what happened is people got displaced. And we think that one of the reasons why the four gospel writers started to put things on paper was they wanted to preserve these eyewitness testimonies, these stories, for future generations because they knew they couldn't assume that it would carry on being told orally by the storytellers. Does that make sense? So that's what Luke is doing. He's writing his own version of all of that. So here's what N.T. Wright, one of the theologians who's brilliant on this, says. Luke isn't asking us to simply take it on trust. He's appealing to a wide base of evidence. Several others have written about these events. He has these writings. We know he had Mark in front of him, for example. So some of Mark's gospel reappears in Luke, um, some of which we may be able to trace as sources. He has been in touch with eyewitnesses who have told him what they saw and heard. And perhaps most important, he has listened to these accredited teachers within focal communities, villages and churches, synagogues. In other words, Luke is saying this account, you can trust it. You can trust this account. It's right from the source, the original sources, and probably is the most historically accurate of the four Gospels just because of the way it was written. Factually, they're all accurate, but they have slightly different emphases and styles. This is important, isn't it? Because you and I need to know, before we go any further, can we actually trust this book? Can we build our life on what Luke says? That's the invitation of the Scriptures, isn't it? And he would say, 100%, yes, you can. So credibility part is number two. The third and final point is this, the vision that Luke has. So as I said, all four gospel writers write slightly different accounts for slightly different reasons. So it's the same account, but different. They're all about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew's is written, Matthew is written much more to a Jewish audience. Mark is the kind of like action thriller version for people who need the short, you know, kind of haven't got long attention span. And John is all about love. So he's trying to get into the very depths of what this is all about in the first place. Luke's vision is different again. And again, it's here in the first verse, teasing it out for us. Many have undertaken, he says, to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. That's what he's doing here. He's giving an account of the things that he says have been fulfilled among us. That is the key line to understanding everything that then is written down by Luke, because that's the lens through which he's writing and wants us to understand. He wants us to understand what has just happened and how those, act, those um, events and activities of God are the fulfillment of everything that he promised throughout the whole of the Old Testament. It's the fulfillment of the covenant promises of God that we see written down right the way through the Old Testament. And that they were, they were fulfilled, he says, among us. At this point in time, this place in time. But for all people, for all time. They were fulfilled among us. So his account is, I want you to understand what Jesus was doing, why he was doing it, and the difference that makes, the impact that has. I want you to get that, because then you understand what it is that uh, Jesus was all about. For him, for Luke, the story of Jesus isn't merely ancient history. He wants to show us how it's the long fulfillment, sorry, the fulfillment of the long covenant story of God and Israel, which was always for the whole world and the redemption of creation. It was never, he says, just for one people in one place 
in one time, although sometimes that's how people understood it and expected it. So one of the commentators on, this, uh, on Luke, Michael Wilcox, writes this. This is helpful for linking us to Acts, which, as I say, we'll come to at some point. Luke's first volume looks back to the beginning and beyond. It tells us what the eyewitnesses had seen. His second volume looks onwards from the ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit and tells us what they said and did once they had become ministers of the word. So what Luke is trying to do is say part one is what the heck has just happened and why it matters. Part two is what we did with that. That's why they come together. So we also need to be clear that for Luke, as with Matthew, Mark, and John, the Jesus story isn't just a metaphor or a theory or an idea or a philosophy. It's not actually even a religion for them. It's the story of something that actually happened. It's historical fact. Jesus Christ lived died and was resurrected that's what they're saying and here's our account of it and here's why we're telling you here's the here's the lens through which we want you to understand that story luke's is so that we'd understand what jesus was doing and why that is good news for the whole world for luke it's not mere history because he also knows that something happens when this story is proclaimed Something beyond us just hearing these factual stories and these accounts. Okay, oh, that's very interesting. So there was this guy who lived 2,000 years ago, and some people believe he was dot, dot, dot. No, what Luke knows is that when you tell this story, when you proclaim it as truth and good news, something happens in people's lives. Something changes in us. Something transforms in us. Deep calls out to deep. Do you know that feeling? We're all here as followers of Jesus because we've encountered this message and it's been more than just an idea or some historical facts. It's transformed us. It's impacted us. Luke knows that. He's seen that happen over and over again. But also that's what happened for him. He heard these stories proclaimed and something woke up in him. And so he's writing not just that we might hear again the story told to us, but that it would change us. Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus. This book is truth, but it's also, it's also alive. And it's the power of God through it that does something in us when it's proclaimed and taught. It's interesting to me that Luke was a doctor, And here is, he's telling us about this man, Jesus, who he has discovered has the power and the authority to do the kind of work that he himself has been trained to do, but at depths undreamed of, and in regions unexplored, and with effects so far-reaching that Luke's own understanding of healing and salvation, which often were understood as one and the same thing in his day, Like, he's confounded by that. His mind is blown. Here is learned Dr. Luke going, oh, my goodness, this story, this true story of Jesus means this. It means healing and salvation for everyone. How do you experience it? How do you receive it? 
you come to Jesus, you hear this story proclaimed, and you let it wake something up in you, what we call faith, and you come to Jesus and you receive it. And then, of course, once the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, you can imagine Luke going, oh, now I get it. Hence, part two. Luke has grasped this beautiful vision of a Jesus who is for everyone. And as we'll see over the next 12 weeks, 11 weeks, he will show us that it's not only for Jews, but also for Greeks and for Romans and for Samaritans and for Welsh people and for Scottish people and for people from Dudley. And the list goes on and on and on. It's for you, dear Theophilus. It's only, he says, it's not only for male people, males, but also for females. And it's not just that the important women get allowed in because of some sort of favor like Herod's wife, but actually widows and prostitutes and everything else. And it's not only for the free, he says, but it's for slaves. And it's not only for the people that look good and fit the part, but actually it's for everyone that society despises. It's for the poor, and it's for the weak, and it's for the outcast, and it's for the thieves and the beggars, and those people hiding up trees like Nicodemus quietly seeking in their heart. And to help us grasp all of this, Luke is going to introduce us as he tells the story to this wonderful cast of characters, all of whom get caught up in the Jesus story. So John the Baptist and Mary, and the list goes on. And through their stories, we'll discover how and why Jesus was the fulfillment of everything God had promised. And the invitation for you and for me is to find ourselves caught up in that story, to literally write ourselves into it, because you and I are also in the story. We are those people. We're part of the everyone that this is for. And so let's pray, shall we? That rather than this just being interesting talks for the next 11 weeks, something will awaken in us. That we become more certain of who Jesus is, of what he's done, of what he is doing, and what he will finish Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the scriptures. More than words on a page, but a holy book full of life and power and truth. And we thank you for Luke, for his gift to us of writing down what you did, Lord and why you did it so that we would be sure and certain we thank you Holy Spirit that you will guide us through it that you will bring it alive in new ways for us that you'll bring revelation and comfort 
and challenge and conviction as we let these scriptures sit open before us. So I pray you give us open hearts and open minds. Give us a fresh hunger for your word as we deep dive into Luke. And we pray that the fruit of it would be that together as well as individually we would be more confident in the good news 